0: Greetings, and welcome to this episode of Gin and Tonic Tavern Talks. Last episode we might have had some negative opinions about the experience point system. Maybe. Some of its uh, possible shortcomings. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you, uh, i go into it in much greater detail in another one of our episodes. Go check it out. What I really think that we, we left, like, I recommended checker leveling, but what is chapter leveling for someone who's never heard of it?
1: Leveling up so, at the completion of a thing or event.
0: And I've switched to it for a long time because one of my biggest gripes with experience points, and I've, I've run campaigns, two campaigns, one to 18, one to 20, and... Both of those games had ridiculously broken magic items. <laughs> if you heard about a guy, if you ever saw a post about a guy who gave his party three billion gold worth of adamantine, that was me.
1: I mean, you gave my halfling rogue a cloak that allowed her to spider climb anytime, anywhere.
0: And that it was halfling vampirism. That was so cool. <laughs> Those kind of items don't break the game. Like it's you can walk on walls. If I want to stop you, I'll cover it in ice or I'll make it polished or it's greased or like they, there are ways to stop you. If that's you want true. To. Yeah. And as the GM you have power to hand out items and your table should also understand like if an item is given out and there's a, especially if it's a homebrew item and it's absolutely broken then we're gonna need to make some tweaks to balance that out right we'll get into my homebrew items because god can I give you some advice on that we'll get into that another time though. <laughs> chapter leveling is a system where you don't keep track so much of experience points I mean you can for combat but you it, it's not your best use of time Instead, the party will have to accomplish a certain end goal to, to get the level. perfect example of this is I had a party that they, the city they were in was about to be sieged from the outside. So they used some really wonky magics and got out of the city, got a small group of reinforcements from outside of the city, and then came back and started harassing the enemy army from behind with this ragtag group of volunteer armies. (laughs) Um, And they were super successful because they waited every time they they, they were smart about when they chose to engage and what they chose to hit. It was guerrilla warfare at its finest. But... They probably went through, you know, they defeated an army of a thousand automated robot people and a bunch of wizards, and they stole a ship, and they crashed it into another ship to sink the both of them. Um, Like, they did some, there was a giant mecha dragon, oh, right, and uh, they had some alchemist fire in glass orbs, and Mm -hmm. they found a large metal robot man, that one of the characters had the capability of controlling I thought they were certainly going to steal it and they were going to wreak havoc on the enemy they took that little glass orb and they stuffed it underneath one of the foot pedals
1: oh my gosh
0: (laughs) when somebody was hooked up and strapped into it and they turned it on and you pushed down one of the foot pedals to make the foot move it would cause the glass to shatter and you would be inside of a metal oven full of fire I mean, DC.
1: that's most... Yeah, no, I was gonna try and crack a joke about that being something's best dream, but... I I couldn't come up with it.
0: I mean, to be fair, for some people, that'd be pretty hot.
1: <laughs> okay, you win.
0: <laughs> but enough about my party's war crimes. Um, they went through all of that, and they had they they didn't gain a level until after the siege was broken. Now, to be fair, I expected them to handle the siege from inside the city and not try and go get reinforcements, which was obviously the better option when presented. But they had to earn that, and they knew that they weren't going to get that level until they managed to break the siege. Mm-hmm. So instead of how do we kill everything in sight? The goal became, what can we do to disrupt this battle? They right. sabotaged the, uh, the, the, one of the major enemy weapons. Oh, right. They sank a boat on its way over. Why? Because this is a, a, a giant lake. That the enemy lives on the other side of the lake. When the boats were on their way over, they snuck on board in the middle of the night and sank one but they had to get through all of these steps in order to be able to gain that level. And it reduces the, the murder-hoboism, because now I've got, a, in that particular group, I have a party of people who actively avoid combat if they can. They're super effective at it when they need to be. But They'll try and talk, weasel, or sneak their way through a problem, because they know that they're not going to get experience points for killing guards 1 and 2. They're going to get the same amount of experience points whether those guys are dead or alive, provided that they obtained their objective. Mm Mm-hmm. And I firmly subscribe to the uh, learn-a-witnesses if they're all dead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I like that one
0: if your goal was to sneak in and steal you know the precious scroll, the secret weapon the other, if you were going to take something that they're going to notice is missing does it make it that much worse if they open the room vault and find three dead guards and the thing is missing? No, they're still going to come after you whether they were dead guards <laughs> there or not
1: Yeah, they're still looking for something
0: And you have it, so bad for you but you accomplished your goal so, I don't know, Megan, what are your thoughts on uh, on chapter 11?
1: I like it far better because, well, just for me personally, my brain is very much like a squirrel, sometimes a squirrel on methamphetamines. And it can often be a lot easier for me to have a storyline goal that I can be like, oh, okay, you guys did a whole lot there you should level up then be counting experience points for each little thing. Because I don't plan a whole lot when I run sessions. I'm just like, okay, this could happen, that could happen, this could happen, whatever. And then there comes a time where the players go off in a different direction. You decide to throw something at them that you had only half-assed prepared. And then you don't want to find out like three hours later that, oh, they should have leveled up. It's more like hmm, if they can make it through this situation, they're going to get a level. And like you said, it discourages the murder hobos, which is pretty big. If for no other reason, take that reason and use it.
0: Because as the GM, if you have, like, absolutely horrible murder hobos... And they're like, ha ha, we could burn down this whole village and uh, we'll get a level because all of the commoners are all worth this much and there's like a thousand people here. Yeah. No, no, you won't. You will get zero experience for that because why the hell would you do that, you crazy psychopath?
1: <laughs> right? Uh...
0: You know, I say this after talking about GMing for groups that actively commit war crimes for fun.
1: Hey, sometimes you are gonna have that kind of group.
0: I mean, the game is also like super racially charged in that the humans believe that they are the best in the universe and they are going around trying to uh, commit genocide of all other species as they expand their territory outwards. I'm essentially running them like Nazis.
1: Oh, it's probably a good thing you added that last point, because I was going to say that kind of just sounds like humans. But okay.
0: Which is also why the party has very little qualms about murdering them en masse.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which is good. But it
0: makes it interesting because one of the party members is a half-elf, but he's human-presenting. Oh. That's very so interesting. It's created some interesting uh, situations where they've had to deal with racism towards the, the party, and they're traveling with a human
1: yeah that would be pretty pretty incredible
0: because when we started the campaign I gave them the option you can start with the humans and the races available to you are uh, human or warforged and all classes are on the table you can choose to be with the non-humans all races are on the table, with the exception of a few, but you can't <laughs> play with it because you
1: hate the flying ones.
0: <laughs> they unbalance campaign or encounters too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there there are ways to deal with them. Absolutely, I much prefer the uh, our homebrew to the fairy that they put out because small flying creatures can still do all of things that a, that a small creature could do.
1: Right. But they also you know do have you... limitations. Because this fairy that I'm using, that we worked on, is also tiny and therefore has a v- much slower walking speed. Um, an okay fly speed. But no strength to carry big weapons or anything. Like, everything is scale back a little bit for her so yeah she can fly around and shit but if there's a strong breeze out there could be trouble
0: (laughs) but that's one of the fun tweaks of making her tiny instead of small is that you've got to watch out for those things or you guys found a bunch of money and one of the party members has to carry your money for you because the money is bigger than you are
1: yeah and I love it, I absolutely love those limitations because it adds so much realism to the game that we play.
0: And trying to keep that realism is, it's a tough balance because I also love letting you guys do whatever you guys want to do. I initially said no flying races and <laughs> then you t- you brought up the fairy in a pirate-themed campaign and I went, fuck Tinkerbell. <laughs> Yep. That's, exactly, that's exactly what your, your, the inspiration for this is, and it, it, it's too perfect.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good.
0: However, the fairy only has like 30 feet flying speed as a base, where right. an arikata has 50.
1: Yes. Plus, that is a much larger creature, so it's definitely got some weight and heft behind it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't like the book version of the fairy where they're small, but guys, we digress. Uh, right. We highly recommend that you use uh, uh, chapter leveling because it's easier on the GM's brain. It's easier on other people's brains. If you're really into tracking things, another system I've heard of is uh, you have a number of encounters, say ten encounters or fifteen encounters, or pick a number that works for you guys, and every time the party gets through an encounter, you put a little tick box in it. When you fill up the 10 or 15 boxes, you get a level.
1: I like that. That would also seriously simplify things. You're not tracking the little bitty XP points here and there. But you know that you've got a list to check off of things, of encounters, that they get done. And then you can give them a level.
0: And the great thing about either of those systems, because remember not all encounters involve combat-hmm but how much experience is roleplay worth like numerically, I understand like as good players it's fantastic, and we should all be doing our best to do it but whether it's a good idea or a well role played negotiation or whatever they they manage to get what they need to do done. Through words instead of combat how, the, the book doesn't tell you how much that's worth and I think that's very intentional because how do you put a, a weight or a value on that and I've seen systems where people give like individual uh, people bonus experience for uh, good ideas which really just punishes the players that either aren't uh, aren't as quick-witted as some other people or uh, aren't as loud and boisterous or maybe they're just there and they're enjoying your game they don't really want to be making any decision unless they have to and you're now punishing them because they're not playing the game the way you want them to mm-hmm. uh so whenever a party member did something that resolves a problem that when i was using the experience point system would put a total amount of experience into the party
1: mm-hmm yeah i'm a big fan of party leveling
0: oh it just it makes so much sense yeah uh but yeah that's my thoughts on on chapter leveling and why you should do it and half a dozen other topics that we got off on thank you for indulging us
1: (laughs) and if you have other ideas on how to track leveling and experience let us know we're always open to ideas which is is. why i can you know send caleb a little dm and be like i want to play a fairy and he's like i just said no flying and i'm like but we're doing pirates and he goes alright, let me know what it's like. And then I send him the stats, and he goes, I'm going to tweak a few things, let me know. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And now I get to be a fairy in a pirate campaign. Who drinks a lot and is almost always naked, which is, you know, just fun.
0: I think everyone in that party has been drunk every night they've been in town. So, you know, typical bunkers. Yeah. (laughs) But that's enough for this episode. Thank you very much for listening in on our thoughts on chapter leveling. If you've got any ideas, feel free to throw them our way. And I just like hearing the different ways people have handled situations. So thank you again for listening, and have a great night.
1: And if you have been listening to this, take a moment and... If you could, I'm humbly begging you all, listeners, to please rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you use to listen to us. Give us five stars. Give us a review. It doesn't matter what you say in that review. It just helps put us up on the charts. So say hi. Give us your best pickup line. It doesn't matter. But if you could do that for us, it really helps us out on the business side of things. And hopefully we can reach more people. Bye!